Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we live in a chaotic world where everything just seems so out of control, dark and hopeless. We thank you that we can come to your house with other brothers and sisters to worship you so we can find peace and hope. For we know we can never find any true peace and hope outside of you. We pray that you keep our minds free of all distractions so we can focus on you and you alone. We pray that you be glorified in this sermon. We just pray that the words, your words would be used to comfort those who are struggling and to equip the saints to care for those who are experiencing a dark night of the soul. In the name of your son we pray, amen. Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 88. Psalm 88. In regards to this psalm, James Montgomery Boyce said, It is good that we have a psalm like this, but it is also good that we have just one. Psalm 88 has been referred to as the darkest psalm in the Bible. It is a heartbreaking journey through the thoughts of a Christian who is experiencing a dark night of the soul. A dark night of the soul is a prolonged period of despair that leads to a crisis of faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones referred to it as spiritual depression. The psalm reads, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to hear my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counting among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like the one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of the dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me, and you have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My, my eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, and I spread out my hands to you. Do you work for wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry out to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from the youth up, I suffer your terrors and I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Psalm 88 is a psalm of lament. A lament is an expression of feelings of sorrow or grief. In these types of psalms, you see the psalmist crying out to God to deliver him from some type of problem or situation. Towards the end of a lament psalm, there is always a, well, there's almost always a turning point where the psalmist's desperation turns to hope and praise as God delivers him from his situation. However, Psalm 88 is different. It is the only psalm of lament where God does not rescue the psalmist. He is left in darkness, and his cries to God are only met with silence. 
It's depressing, and you feel his pain in every verse. When you read Psalm 88, you're shocked by how it ends. Was something left out? You almost want to check your different Bible translations on your shelf to see if you have a textual variant in your version. But it's not. This inspired psalm begins and ends with a psalmist in despair. But why would God give us such a dark psalm? I would suggest that Psalm 88 is a gift from our merciful God for the suffering saint whose dark night of the soul seems to have no end. For some of you, it might be a family member diagnosed with cancer. You're praying that your loved one would be healed, but with every medical test comes more bad news. You feel hopeless as you watch your loved one slowly fade away, and you wonder, where is God in all of this? For some of you, it might be infertility. Your dreams of being a parent die a little more month after month, year after year. 800,000 babies are killed every year in abortion, but yet God would not give a child to you. For some of you, it might be a debilitating physical condition where everyday activities are painful and difficult. You long and pray for some relief from the pain, but it does not come. You see people all around you that seem to take simple things for granted, simple things that you cannot do. You start to wonder if you've been cursed by God and if that is the reason why he gave you a body that is so broken. For some of you, it might be an unsaved child. You cry out to God constantly for his salvation, but with every prayer, your son seems to run farther and farther from God. You don't understand why he's rejected him since you did everything right. You belong to a solid church to preach the gospel. You had him in church on every Sunday morning and Wednesday night. You did family worship. You homeschooled. Yet, it only seemed to make him bitter. And you fight those feelings yourself as you wonder why God would not save the child that you love so dearly. For some of you, it might be a financial disaster you, where you lose your job after years of faithful service. You see everything that you work so hard for in your life start to be taken from you. Your house, your cars, your once secure future is gone. And now you're just praying that you could just keep food on the table. You try to fight the feelings of anger towards God. And you wonder why he would destroy you financially when you've always been so generous with the money he's given you. <clears throat> but maybe you're walking with a friend through a dark season. You've offered many words of comfort, but their situation does not improve. And you don't know what else to say. The possibilities are endless. Psalm 88 is messy and it's uncomfortable. It reminds us that Christians can be in a dark place for a very, very long time. Throughout the entirety of scripture, we see that being a Christian does not mean that things will be easy, and often it means the exact opposite. When tragedy strikes and the darkness does not seem to end, Christians can find themselves just stuck in a spiritual depression to the point where they feel like they've been abandoned by God. If this is the condition of your soul today, know that you're so dearly loved by God and that Psalm 88 can be a life raft for you as you fight the waves of despair. If you're not currently experiencing a dark night of the soul, praise God. However, one day you might, and Psalm 88 will be there for you too. This psalm will help you minister to your brothers and sisters in Christ who are lost in the darkness. It will help you to understand their anguish and to help you to be able to show them the light of Christ that they so desperately need.
In order to see how Psalm 88 can be a light in the dark, we must first experience what the psalmist is experiencing by walking through it verse by verse. This is a tough psalm, and he deals with those uncomfortable emotions. For the psalmist voices some of those thoughts that you may have in your darkest moments that you're afraid to say out loud. God never tells us exactly what the psalmist is going through, and I believe that God chose not to reveal it to us so we can relate to what he is feeling. We examine the psalm in four points. Desperation, disputation, isolation, and restoration. First, let's look at desperation. The psalmist begins the first of his three cries by calling out to God by name. He cries out in verse 1, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Your translation may use the word Lord in small capital letters. If you read the preface in front of your Bible, you'll see that in the Old Testament, they often translated the name Yahweh as Lord in that way. Yahweh is the personal name of God. By calling out to God using his personal name, we know the psalmist is in a covenant relationship with God. He is a child of God. He has been saved and he has been redeemed. Even the most mature and faithful saint can wrestle with feelings that God has abandoned them during a dark night of the soul. Church history is full of spiritual giants such as Charles Spurgeon and Andrew Fuller who experienced the distress of spiritual depression. And if a mature Christian, like the Prince of Preachers, can experience a dark night of the soul, then so can you. God's children will experience trials and tribulations in this life. The Apostle Paul warned us in Acts 14.22 that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We also see in verse 1 that the psalmist has been calling out to God all day and all night. In other words, he's been calling out to God for a very, very long time. And from the very first verse, you can hear the anguish in his cries. In verse 2, the psalmist cries out, Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to hear my cry. The psalmist is begging God to listen to his prayers. Have you ever felt like that? Where you're praying for some relief from your trial. You want to pour your heart out to God, but you don't even feel like that he is listening. Verse 3 says that his soul is full of troubles. Notice it's not trouble, it's troubles. There are more than one. So often, when you're in the dark night of the soul, your problems seem to compound on each other. What would have been a minor problem in normal times seems so much worse. They just keep adding to the load you're carrying to the point where you feel like you're going to collapse under its weight. In verses 3 through 5, the psalm takes a hard turn and gets very serious. Deadly serious. The psalmist says, For my soul is full of troubles. And my life draws near Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like the one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. He feels like his life is over. Like he has one foot in the grave. He may still be alive. But he does not feel like he has the strength to go on. Some argue that these three verses means the psalmist had some type of terminal illness or injury. That may be true. However, these three verses are a perfect description 
of what a person feels like when they're stuck in a deep depression. They sound like someone who's on the verge of giving up and resigning themselves over to hopelessness. A deep spiritual depression can make you feel like you're dying in some way, and just getting out of bed can take all the strength that you have. In verses 6 through 9, we see the psalmist has a good understanding of God's sovereignty. Notice where he puts the emphasis on God. Starting in verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of the dark and deep. Your wrath lays heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Holding to the doctrines of grace can be a great comfort at times. However, it can also be a stumbling block when in the middle of the dark night of the soul. You can lose sight on the comforts that it brings and start to question God and why he ordained you to suffer. You know that God is good, but you start to think that maybe it's just not good to me. While the psalmist may have an understanding of God's sovereignty, we see that even people with good theology can have some frayed edges in the midst of a trial. Notice in verse 7, he said, Your wrath lies heavy upon me. As a child of God, you will never experience the wrath of God since Jesus Christ experienced it for you. However, during a dark night of the soul, it can sure feel like it. Verse 8. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a whore to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. When you experience a dark night of the soul, you can feel like you've been abandoned by all of your friends and family. And sometimes you really have been. It has been said that misery loves company, but that's really not accurate. People are uncomfortable and do not know what to say to a person who is suffering. Instead of just being there and listening to them, they stay away. They may do a good job staying there at first, but that type of compassion is often short-lived. For example, a widow will often get tons of visits, phone calls, text messages, and cards for the few weeks after her husband dies. Unfortunately, those visits and phone calls get farther and farther apart just as the widow is starting to experience the loneliness of a new normal. During dark nights of the soul, you can often become your own worst enemy. You find yourself chasing your family and friends away by lashing out at them. We see an example of this in the book of Job. All of Job's children died. He lost his livestock. He was covered in painful lesions. Then in Job 2, verse 9, his wife says, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. What she said was not comforting. It was not compassionate. It was mean. It was sinful. When we read her words, we think of her as a horrible wife who was making things worse for her poor husband. When we read her words, we fail to take into account what she has gone through. She also lost her children. She also lost her livestock. She's seeing her husband in pain and suffering and covered in lesions. It's very likely that she was also experiencing a dark night of the soul. Perhaps like Job's wife, you simply use your words to hurt others and become difficult to be around. Your family friends begin to avoid you. Love may cover a multitude of sins, but for only so long. If this is you, your pain does not give you an excuse for your sinful behavior. If this describes someone that you care about, try to meet them where they are, gently and lovingly try to restore them. 
A wise counselor knows that you often have to address a person's suffering before you can address their sin. Moving on to our second point, disputation. The psalmist's second cry takes a different approach. He is trying to plead his case before God on why he should be delivered from his trials. By asking these questions, the psalmist is not denying the existence of an afterlife in heaven or in hell. He is also not denying that people in heaven praise and worship God. What he is trying to do is convince God through a series of questions to save him from his problems. Verse 9, the psalmist cries out, Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. He continues to cry out to God every day and is reaching out to him in an attitude of prayer. He is reaching out to God like a young child reaches out to a parent when he wants to be held and comforted. But he feels like God is not reaching out to him. God is not holding him. God is not comforting him. My friends, some of the worst pain you can experience in this life is feeling like God is absent when you need him most. Verses 10 through 12. Do you work the wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Are your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Are your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? The psalmist is trying to convince God that he would get more glory if he fixes his problems right now instead of letting him die in his situation. He goes on to try to convince God that he could not worship him or offer him praises if he was in the grave or Abaddon, which is a place of destruction. But before you're too hard on the psalmist for trying to bargain with God, Think about how much you try to bargain with God for the little things. Think of how you may have promised God that if he helps you pass a test, you'll study every night in the future instead of cramming at the last minute again. Think about how you promised God that you'll never speed again if that police officer just gives you a warning. If you pray like that over the little things, how much more will you do it during a dark night of the soul? Now moving on to our third point, the isolation. In verses 1 through 9, we heard the psalmist's desperate plea to God. In verses 9 through 12, we heard his disputation with God, where he attempts to convince God that he should comfort, he should come through for him. We now come to verses 13 through 18, where the psalmist cries out to God as he becomes even more isolated as his downward spiral of severe depression continues. Verses 13 to 14, the psalmist cries out, but I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Every morning, the psalmist begins his day by crying out to God. His brokenhearted cries only seem to be answered by a deafening silence. He is crying out to the God that he loves, the God that he serves, but he feels like God is not responding to him when he needs him most. It doesn't just seem like God is ignoring him. It seems like God is hiding from him. Like the psalmist, when you're in a dark night of the soul, it may seem that God has thrown you away, like he has removed you as far from his presence as possible. It feels like he's not only rejected you, but that he won't even look at you to acknowledge you in your suffering. Now verse 15. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. The psalmist has been suffering for a very, very long time, possibly even decades. The long years of pain and suffering have taken their toll, 
and he feels powerless to do anything. He is on the verge of giving up if he hasn't done so already. During the dark night of the soul, you may be feeling helpless since you have no power to change your situation. You know that only God can help you, but you feel like he doesn't even care enough about you to lift the finger to aid you in your situation. Verses 16 through 17. Your strength has, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day. They close in on me together. The psalmist is feeling like God is attacking him and his brutal attack is devastating him. He feels like all of his problems have surrounded him and that his whole world is collapsing in around him. According to Steve Lawson, the psalmist is totally submerged in sorrow and unable to surface for the life-sustaining air of hope. During a dark night of the soul, you can feel like God does not even like you or that he has a personal vendetta against you. You know it's not true since you're a blood-bought child of God, but you lose sight on that fact as you become more and more overwhelmed by your problems. Then verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The psalmist has hit rock bottom. He feels broken. He feels empty. He feels like he has nothing left. He feels alone. He feels like his only companion is the darkness of his depression. And that is where the psalm ends, in darkness. But that might be where the psalm ends, but thankfully that is not where the Bible ends. And moving on to our final point, the restoration. Psalm 88 ends where it started. The psalmist is in a very bad place where everything is dark and there is no hope. During the dark nights of the soul, you must let your faith inform your feelings. Let me repeat that. During a dark night of the soul, you must let your faith inform your feelings. Our feelings may betray us, but God never will. Dear Christian, if you're going through a dark night of the soul where everything seems so dark and hopeless, know this. There is hope if you look in the right place. Look to the bloody cross on a hill called Calvary, where your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, bore the full wrath of God for you. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken, so you never will be. While you may feel forsaken, those are only feelings. He truly was forsaken for you. He paid the penalty to atone for your sins, so you can have eternal life. When you feel abandoned and forsaken by God, look to the cross. You'll see the ultimate proof of God's love for you. It is a constant reminder that you have not been abandoned by God. Dear Christian, you may have been abandoned by your family and friends. You may feel like you're alone and that no one cares about you and no one can understand what you're going through. But know this, if you're in Christ, you're never truly alone. He is there with you and he understands what you're going through. Hebrews 4, 15-16 reminds us that, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Dear Christian, start to view your situation from an eternal perspective. The Apostle Paul suffered greatly during his earthly life, but he viewed his trials and tribulations from an eternal perspective. How could he find joy during the beatings, the stonings, the shipwrecks, the imprisonments? One of the ways he did this, he told us in Romans 8, 18. 
For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed to us. You can also take comfort in the encouragement he gave the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. So do not lose heart. Through our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do not take offense that the Apostle Paul called your earthly trials light momentary afflictions. Because what you've gone through is hard, and it does not feel light. It feels heavy, very heavy. What he meant is that they are light in comparison to what we deserve for our sins and how it is preparing us for what is to come. A.W. Pink reminds us that afflictions are light when compared to what we really deserve. They are light when compared with the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. But perhaps the real lightness is best seen comparing them with the weight of glory, which is awaiting us. Dear Christian, know that these trials are meant for your good. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 8, 28-30, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might become the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The good the Apostle Paul is referring to does not mean that all things will work out the way you want them to. It means they will work out for your good, which will transform you to be more like Jesus Christ. Our loving God knows what is best for you, even when you do not understand what he is doing. Just like the old hymn says, what God ordains is always good. He is my friend and father. He suffers not to do me harm. Though many storms may gather, now I may know both joy and woe. Someday I shall see clearly that he has loved me dearly. What God ordains is always good. Though the cup I am drinking, which savors now of bitterness, I take it without shrinking. For after grief, God gives relief, my heart with comfort filling, and all my sorrow stilling. You can take comfort in knowing that there is no purposeless suffering. There is a reason behind your suffering. When you cannot see his hand, trust his heart. Dear Christian, do not believe the lie that the only reason you are sick or suffering is because of unrepentant sin in your life. In some cases, that may be true, but not always. Remember what Jesus told his disciples when they asked him about the man who was born blind in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. As he passed by, he saw a man blind by birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. Dear Christian, going through a dark night of the soul can shake and may even destroy the assurance of your salvation. Chapter 18, paragraph 4 of the 689 London Baptist Confession states, True believers may in various ways have assurance of their salvation shaken, decreased, or temporarily lost. This may happen because they neglect to persevere it or fall into some specific sin that wounds their conscience and grieves the spirit. It may happen through some unexpected or forceful temptation or when God withdraws the light of his face and allows even those who fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. 
Yet they're never completely lacking the seed of God, the life of faith, the love of Christ, and the brethren, sincerity of heart, or conscience concerning their duty. Out of these graces, through the work of the Spirit, this assurance may be at proper time be revived. In the meantime, they are kept from utter despair through them. You may be walking through a valley where God is having you walk in the dark. It does not mean that you've been lost your salvation or that God hates you. Regardless of how you're feeling, know that you're secure in Christ. You have been saved by you've been saved for Christ, by Christ, and, we, and you will be kept by Christ. He is faithful when you are faithless. Dear Christian, life can be hard, very hard at times. It is okay to cry. It is okay to hurt. You do not have to paint a smile on your face and act like everything is fine. You do not have to have a false spirituality about your situation. Church should not be a stained glass masquerade where you feel like you just need to put on a mask and pretend like everything is perfect. It is okay to pour your heart out to God and ask him why something is happening. But just make sure you're doing it in a spirit of lament and not a closed-fisted questioning of God. Now, some of you may be saying, I know all that stuff. I have some of those verses memorized. I sat in on those Bible studies. But how can I take that theology and apply it? Here are five practical things you can do to provide refreshment for your soul. First, preach the gospel to yourself daily. So many of your problems and your inability to handle those problems can often be traced back to losing focus on the gospel and what it means. Remind yourself that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, incarnate, suffered, and died as your representative to atone for your sins. He did not just die for sin in a generic sense. He substituted himself and took your place. He paid the exact penalty that you should have paid for your sins. Every lie, every curse word, every obscene gesture you flashed during rush hour, every dirty thought, for every sin you have committed, are committing, and will commit. He paid the penalty for each and every one of those the moment you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. But that is only half the story. Remember that Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God. He lived a perfect life and kept the law perfectly in thought, word, and deed. There was never a millisecond where he did not love God with his full heart, mind, and soul. He was tempted in all the ways that we are, but he never gave in to that temptation, not even for a moment. It is his perfect obedience and righteousness that was imputed to your account the moment you repented and believed, just as your sins were imputed to his account. You now possess a righteousness that is not your own, an alien righteousness. This is the beautiful truth that we see in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that states, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about what that all means. If you're in Christ, all of your sins have been forgiven and you have been fully cleansed from the guilt and the shame that accompanies them. You're not dirty. You're not tainted. You're not broken. You're not used up. You are not damaged goods. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. You have been given the righteousness of Christ. Remember what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're like red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Renew your mind to focus on that beautiful truth, and you will start to see light breaking through the clouds. Second, do 
Do not neglect the ordinary means of grace. J. Ryan Davidson says that the ordinary means of grace are instruments that Christ ordinarily uses to birth and strengthen the faith of the elect as he is present among them. The ordinary means of grace includes things like the word of God, prayer, worship, and the Lord's table. And fortunately, we often neglect the ordinary means of grace when we are in the middle of a dark night of the soul. And when we ignore them, it only makes things worse. Read your Bible even if you do not desire to do so. His words are the words of life. Immerse yourself in them. Listen to his word preached and seek counsel from those who would counsel you from his word. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 15.4, For whatever is written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Follow the example of the psalmist and continue to pray to God, even if you don't feel like he is hearing you. Pray through the psalms of lament. Make Psalm 51, 10 through 12, your prayer and continually cry out to God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold a willing spirit. And do not give in to the mindset that God cannot handle raw emotional prayers. You do not need to edit your prayers or dress them up to make them sound nice and pretty. That's right. You can pray simple prayers like the tax collector did in Luke 18, 13, where he beat his breast and prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It is okay if you cannot find the right words to say, because the Holy Spirit will intercede for you. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 8, 26-27, that likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And do not forsake the assembly of the saints. Your brothers and sisters in the church are called to help you bear your burdens. They're called to carry you when you cannot walk. Participate in the corporate worship of our holy God. Raise your voice with the saints in song to him and continue to praise him in the middle of your storm. Partake in the Lord's Supper whenever your church administers it. It is much more than eating a small amount of bread and drinking a small amount of grape juice or wine. To remember, we'll do so to remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It is a spiritual feast where we get the amazing privilege of meditating on what our great Lord and Savior has done for us. Third, Every day make a blessings list. Write out five to ten different things that you're thankful for, then pray to God and thank for each and every one of them. Think about all the blessings you have that you take for granted. For example, thank God for the food in your pantry, the roof over your head, or that you were able to take a hot shower this morning. Over time, this exercise will help you reorient your thinking and help you realize how much God loves you and blesses you each and every day. For serve others. So often when we're experiencing a dark night of the soul, we lose focus on everything else. By serving others, we change from an inward to an outward focus. Better yet, look to see how you can use your very situation to minister to help others. And fifth, ask what God is trying to teach you in your situation, how you can glorify him in it. If you find that, it was your sin that caused your situation or that you're sitting in your response, repent 
and repent to a merciful God. Finally, if you feel like you cannot go on and you're thinking about taking your life, seek help immediately. Talk to your pastor, a biblical counselor, a family member, a fellow Christian, your doctor, even call a suicide hotline. Your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ can come around you and hope to show you that there is hope. You have inherent worth because you were created in the image of God, and he cares about you, and so does your church family. Psalm 88 may end in darkness, but if you're in Christ, it is not the last word in your life. In the words of Matt Mason, it's possible to have faith and feel burdened beyond your strength. It's possible to have faith and feel that God is hiding from you. It's possible to have faith and wrestle with hard questions. It's possible to have faith, and yet every day is not sweeter than the day before. It's possible to know him as the God of your salvation, and yet feel convinced that there will be no saving today. It's possible to have the right knowledge of God, and yet for that knowledge to not yield its full, soul-stabilizing effect at every point in your life. But before we close, I would like to say a word to the unbeliever. The trial that you're going through may be the very thing that God is using to bring you to your knees. He may be using your trial to break you and strip you of any comfort that you may have so that you'll see your need for him. No matter what you're going through, it is far better than what awaits you if you die in your sins. You have sinned against a holy God and broken his commandments. You've sinned so many times that you are unable to count them and you'll be held responsible for each and every one of them. As a result of your rebelling against God, you will bear the full wrath of God. Your judgment day is coming. It could be 50 years from now, 30 years from now, it may be tomorrow, or even five minutes from now. My friends, if you do not understand that eternal punishment in hell is what awaits you for the transgression of the Holy God, the punishment is fair and it is just. Unless you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, that is what awaits you. Today can be the day of your salvation. Repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Look to the cross and flee to him to be saved. Then and only then will your sins be forgiven and he can find rest in Jesus Christ. Some of you may be thinking that your sins are so bad that you cannot be saved. That you have hurt so many people that you cannot be redeemed. That your hands are so dirty that they will never be clean. That even the blood of Jesus Christ cannot atone for your sins. Nothing can be further from the truth. There is no sin so bad that Jesus Christ cannot atone for it. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for the time we had this morning to come together to worship you in song and preaching of your word. I hope and pray that you were glorified. We lift up our brothers and sisters to you who are going through a dark night of the soul. We pray that they continue to seek you even when they feel like you are not there. We pray that they will find peace in their situation and take comfort in your saving grace. We pray that you will help us all to be able to compassionately minister to those around us who are suffering and are hopeless. I pray that you will help us comfort them and, if needed, proclaim the truth to them in a loving way. May we all seek to serve you and love you more every day. In the name of your Son we pray. Amen. Before we call uh, Levi and AJ to pass out the communion and have AJ read from her confession of faith, let's just take a moment and meditate on the scriptures that uh, Chris just exposited for us and the words that he shared with us, okay? Okay.